Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All righty. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now on a Sunday in the Delaware Valley. Rainy Sunday here. By the way, it is time for this week in Philadelphia Sports History. Brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports where there is a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ShibeSports.com. All right. Let me set the scene for you, Jody, and then we'll bring on our special guest, Phillies, Pirates, at the Vet, 1989. It was this way. I think the anniversary was this past Wednesday, uh, but it was it was this week at the Vet. That would be how many years ago now? Oof, 33, 33 years. 33, wow. yeah. Yeah, things are moving fast. Anyway, the game does not get off to a good start. The Pirates scored 10 runs in the first inning. Barry Bonds has a three-run homer. Every single hit falls, and it's a disaster. And at the end of the first inning, Jim Rooker, who is the Pirates radio color man, on air, turns to his partner and says this. But Pirates broadcaster Jim Rooker felt otherwise and led off the bottom of the first with a bold proclamation. Well, a leadoff double for Randy Reddy. Well, I'll tell you something right now. If we lose this game, I'll walk back to Pittsburgh. You'll have to. I won't have to, but I will. <laughs> all right. So I, I left all that extraneous stuff in there at the beginning. I think it was, must, that must have been this week in baseball, right? Uh, anyway, so you heard that, and you heard what he said. And then, Jody. Von Hayes gets two back with a home run. But Nick Leva, who's Philly's manager at the time, decides to pull some of his regulars. Tommy Herr comes out. In the first inning, he's pulling guys. Steve Jeltz comes in at second base, and he is on base when Hayes hits that home run. And then, in his next at-bat, this is what happens. Jeltz with a drive to right center. And he joins us now, Steve Jeltz. How are Steve? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm blessed. How are you? Uh, we're great, and it is so nice to catch up with you. Talked to you earlier in the week about this and this game. We're gonna t- we're gonna go through the rest of the game, but I kind of want to start with the basic setup, which is the Phillies are down ten to nothing. The game had just begun. You guys hadn't even gotten a bat yet. You're actually not even in the game yet. Um, when when Leva, Nick Leva, who's the manager, turns to you and says, yeah, go on in, how did you feel about that? Well, you know, I, it's Major League Baseball, and, and I've made it a point in my life to be thankful for where I was at, and I'll play. It doesn't matter what the score is, and especially in a 10-run in a deficit in the first inning, we have nine innings to catch up. So, you know, I, and I'm hitting the number two hole, not number eight hole. So I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm sure I'm like, I get hit tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, that's I, I was looking forward to it. I had fun. Yeah, batting, batting second was not was that your usual place in the lineup. I'm sorry, Joe. Yeah, yeah that's where I was going to go. You, uh, so what? You got a half an inning late start. It's basically a full game left there on the table. What was it like in the dugout? A couple of guys, as Glenn pointed out, were pulled down 10 nothing. but you got eight and a half innings left to go. Uh, dugout uh, forlorn, dugout uh, guys pumped up because they're going to get a chance to play where they don't usually get a chance to play. What was it like in the dugout in the bottom of the first inning? 
Well, actually, I was I had been up upstairs at, at at about five runs on the Pirates, and we switched pitchers, and it was it was long. I went upstairs for a minute uh, into the clubhouse, and I'm watching on TV because it was it was dreadful in the dugout at that point. When the guys came in, I came down, and you know I'm being cheerful, and I'm like, "Come on, guys, let's go." I said, "We got ten. We got nine innings to catch them. We got ten runs to catch up. Let's get a couple here, a couple there." And I'm pumped up. I guess Nick saw that and said, if you're that pumped up, you can go in the game. So, you know, I, I was more than happy to do that for sure. But at any rate, I got that from Mike Schmidt for sure. He told me one day he was nervous about a game. And, and I looked at him, I said, why are you so nervous, Smitty? And he turned and looked at me and said, this is the big leagues, right? And I said, so that was early in my career. So I had that same attitude. I remember that. So, I, you know, as always, yes, it is the big leagues. Let's go play the game and have some fun. All right, so um, you hit the the home run first time up. Was that I should have looked? Was that left handed or right handed? It was left handed. My first at bat, I got a walk, um, and Bob Walk was pitching. And the Phillies teach uh, pitchers, and he used to be with the Phillies. Yep. He, they teach pitchers when you get an zero and two count, you keep guys from hanging out over the plate. So you this next that zero and two pitch is usually pushing you off the plate. Um, back in those days, under your chin, probably. Um, but he didn't do that my first at bat, and I think I fouled off a bunch of pitches, five or six pitches, and I ended up getting a walk, and then Vaughn went deep. And so the next time I come up, I'm thinking, I'm not getting 0-2 again. And Walkie was still pitching, and I he got me 0-2 again, so I know this next pitch is pushing me off the plate because I was hanging out on the plate the first at bat. And I kind of was thinking inside, he's going to throw this and push me off the plate, but I got to protect the outside, and he hung a curveball right down the middle. And I was like, oh, my, boom. And I didn't know. Of course, I'm just trying to make contact, and it was gone. So that's how that worked out. All right. So then your third time you come up, Philly's still down, two men on base, and let's play it, Moshe. Drive to left field. Bonds is back to the warning track for the wall. It's gone. who came into the ballpark tonight and were stunned by a pin-run first inning by the Pirates now on their feet, cheering their Phillies who have made a tremendous comeback to make it an 11-9 ball game, and they won a curtain call for Steve Jeltz. They won a curtain call for Steve Jeltz. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that, that was uh, from the right side of the plate. They had brought in, I think, um, they brought in a left-handed pitcher because I had I'd been successful twice on the on the uh, left-hand side of the plate, so they wanted to push me to the right-hand side of the plate. And, and he went 2-0 and to me. So I picked the spot, and that's what you do, 2-0, and 3-1, pick a spot if the pitch is there. Don't If the pitch is not there, don't swing. But if it's there, let it rip, and that's what happened. He threw it right in my spot. So, fortunately, it went out. All right, Steve, I want to test your memory a little bit because we just heard the clip, and the announcer certainly referenced it, that the crowd was into it. I would think down 10 nothing in the first inning, the crowd would either be leaving and or relaxing. Yeah, we didn't have cell phones back there. You go, go and uh, hop on your phone and spend the next two hours uh, re- referencing stuff and or making calls and or s- sending texts or tweets. But it sounded like the crowd was pumped up when you guys got to within two runs at that point. How good a crowd was it that day at the vet? Oh, the Philly fans. I mean, I, my whole career, and even after I finished playing in Philadelphia, people used to ask me, how do you play in Philly? How tough is that? And I think when I first came to Philadelphia, Gary Maddox and Matthew told me, they said, first thing we're going to tell you, rookie, don't read the paper. Is that because one day you'll get built up, the next day you'll get crashed. He said, just don't let that be a part of your game. Go out there and play your game without thinking about it. So I'll say this about the Philly fans. They're the best fans I played everywhere, and they're the best fans I've ever seen. And and in that in that game in the second inning, after Vaughn hit hit the home run, or you know we, he hit his first home run, the fans were in the game. Then they saw it coming, I think, but they knew we didn't give up and we were playing hard. So as long as you play hard in Philadelphia, yeah, yeah, you're going to get your booze. But at the end of the day, they know the game, and uh, like I said, Philly fans are the best I've ever seen. I love it. I, you know, I, people said, how do you do it? I said, I didn't have a problem. I mean, you know, I heard some things, and people yelled at me, but it's all good. I do the best I can and give you everything I got 100% the whole time I'm playing, and whatever happens after that happens. And I think the fans recognize that, and they stick behind that, win or lose. All right, Steve Jeltz. You played eight years in the major league, seven seasons with the Phillies. 
Um, you hit five home runs in your career. You were there for your glove. You were not there for your power. But you hit two home runs in one game. Explain it. Well, I'll say this. Uh, my my The first game I played with starter was behind Lefty. He saw me working out, and he said, get your rest tonight, rookie. You're, you're starting behind me tomorrow. So my infield's Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, and Mike Smith. Wow. Okay, so so I come up, and I know nothing about the National League. I grew up in the Midwest, and I grew up in Kansas. And, I, you know, in the minor leagues, pitchers don't hit. So, you know, they put me in the number eight hole, pitcher behind me. I get it. I had two outs, nobody on, and I hit a line drive right at the second base. But I'm kind of feeling good about myself. And Pete and Joe brought my glove out, and they jumped on me, and they said, rookie. You need to learn. If we want you to hit, we put you somewhere else. We want you to learn how to be a number eight hitter. Now we start the next inning with two outs. He said, you need to learn how to do it. So you get you get something attached to you that you aren't a good offensive ball player, but at the end of the day, you have a job to do. And I think it's a lost art to some degree at this point in time that we're forgetting that when there's a man on second base with nobody out, lead off double, we need to try and move the runner over and get run. And and that's what I learned to do, and I learned to do it pretty well. That's why I lasted so long. But when you, it's a double-edged sword. When you get, when you become a number eight hitter, that's good, and you're good doing your job. Then it's hard to get out of that number eight hole. That night I was hitting number two, and they didn't have to pitch around me. They didn't want, they wanted to pitch to me because obviously I'm hitting two thirty-five or something. I don't know. But at the end of the day, they got three, four, five coming up next, and they're not just trying to put me on. So I got pitches. That's that's the reason. Steve, in addition to being one of just a uh, finite number of players that have hit home runs from both sides of the plate in one game, you are also the Major League Baseball all-time leader in several categories that have to do with French-born players. You were born in France, and there just haven't been that many Major League Baseball players who were born in France. Do you still pay attention to who's coming over from France to play in the major leagues and potentially take your uh, lead in uh, statistical categories as the greatest all-time French-born baseball player? <laughs> you know, I, I've never been a stats guy. You know, I, I'm, I'm about how to win ball games, and if you have to sacrifice yourself, you do it. I think my dad was in the military, um, so he was a World War II draftee, 47 years he served in the Army and the Army Reserves, uh, Korea twice, and Vietnam. So, you know, that's why I was born in France. Steve, um, you are uh, one of many players who uh, played in the vet during that time who ended up um, developing cancer. You had, you had brain surgery, right? I did indeed. Mine, unfortunately, was a, it was a brain tumor, and it was non-cancerous. You know, okay. I know... You know, my, my very good friend, dear friend, Darren Dalton, um, he passed away recently. Tug McGraw, um, John Bukovic, and, you know, and then I guess there were several Eagles um, who had cancer, and unfortunately that, that they didn't make it from that. But um, mine, I had brain surgery in 2003, and I've been blessed ever since. I've been doing well. Well, that's good to hear. Steve, um, let me ask you a question about the vet as well. Um, potential injurious uh, situations after your career aside, what was it like to play on that turf? Because we've heard so many stories from so many people on both the baseball and the football side. Did Were you okay with it? Did you actually think, oh, I'm going to get a true hop, I don't have to worry about a bad bounce, but it just wasn't con conducive to the kind of pounding that your legs had to take. What do you think about playing at the vet? Well, you know, I think it's what we do um, in teaching kids now. We're trying to, we started a group called uh, Primal Sports and um, teaming up with uh, Above and Beyond Sports Group, uh, Lula Skolsky. Um, we have, we have, we're, we're teaching kids one thing, and, and, and the work ethic is what that's all about. I remember Mike Smith coming over to me one day when I was, before I had start, really started the game, I hadn't started the game. And he came to me while I was taking ground balls and he said, he looked at me and he said, "He said you ever miss a ball?" And I thought to myself, "Did everybody talk about this scene that ran from the third base dugout across shortstop and out in the right center or something?" And and I, I just looked at him and I thought to myself, "Well, yeah, I miss balls." And he says, "Well, I've been watching you. You haven't missed a ball, and you've been taking them off the bat. You've been taking ground balls." He said, "He said I just wondered." He said, "Cause you make it look so easy." And I thought to myself, "Well, 
We're playing on carpet. Now, as far as the pounding on the legs, I used to take 150 ground balls before I started starting, and then I kept doing that afterwards. And Smitty came up to me and said, man, you need to take it easy. We've got a 162-game schedule. But I think me being a, a, a football and a multi-sport athlete, and I played football, I trained like a football player. So my body had to – I just did all I could do every day, and it didn't bother me. Um, I, to this day, I turned 63 May 28th, and 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 to this day, I can still do anything I could do back then. I mean, not not quite as long, and probably feel a little worse when I finish sometimes. But you know, I've been blessed. Everything's been fine, and and that turf, it's it's astral turf. I don't care. I mean, people say they take a pounding. I think at shortstop, you're probably taking a pounding more than anybody. And you know, I mean, it is hard on you. I mean, AstroTurf is hard on you, but if you get your body ready for it, then I think you'll be fine. Steve, let's close on this. The game was remembered for two things, as we said. You hit those home runs from the left side and the right side, but Jim Rooker vowed early in the game with the Pirates up 10 nothing. we lose this game, I walk home. He later did. He waited till the end of the season. He made it a charity event, did in October, walked 312 miles over 12 days, raised $100,000 for the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Were you aware of his boast and how that followed up? Not at the time. You know, I, I didn't have any idea, and then, then I saw when that happened, and I heard about it, and I, I understood that they, they made quite a bit of money for something, but that's how, how God works. He makes turn something something in the air. If be positive or negative, he turns it into something good. So, I mean, fortunately, that came out to be a good thing, and it helped out a lot of people. Um, real quick, I'd like to say that, what we're trying to do here um, is uh, with Above and Beyond Sports Group and, and um, uh, Primal Sports is to take care of kids and, and teach them, empower them um, through through sports, um, trying to get them to – this world's a tough place to live in now. And so we're trying to make these kids something that, that um, uh, they might not get at home because it all starts at home. So – you know, whatever we can do to try and teach them about Christ and teach them how to be good young men, that's what we try to do. So, um, fortunately, Raymore and Flanagan um, down in Reading, Lou met with them, and, and they lit up about our ideas. So maybe we can uh, get together with a lot of people and get something done for these kids because this isn't about money. It's about the youth and trying to get them in the right direction. All right, let's close in. If people want to reach out to you, is there a website or a way they can do it? Absolutely. Um, they can go to Primal Sports or Above and Beyond Sports Group. Um, and like I said, uh, Schaefer Trucking, uh, we've met with them. Uh, Tim Jacoby has the same Christian beliefs. Rob Holiday with the Phillies. Uh, Debbie Nacillo, Phillies alumni. Um, I want to thank you guys for reaching out to me, uh, along with John Brazier, who came who got us in contact. Um, all these people, I mean, they're coming together right now, and I've been, been trying to do, you know, I try to do things on my own, but I always tell people it's above my pay grade on this business side of it. I do baseball, and, and fortunately I had the opportunity to play with all Hall of Famers, and, and uh, they taught me the game, and I was a teacher um, learning. So, you um, know, I've been able to reach out and get to them. So that's what that's We appreciate about. it and uh, love talking to you. And, and I know a lot, of, a lot of our listeners got excited when they heard you were coming on, so it's yeah. nice to catch I up. I get excited when I get to know Philadelphia's listening because I love Philadelphia. There you go. Take Thanks, take care, Steve. Steve. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. All right, there you go. So, Jody, the the lineup, the first day he played, first base, Pete Rose, second base, Joe Morgan, third base, Mike Schmidt, on the mound, Steve Carlton. Yeah, it's not a bad uh, group of teammates. <laughs> You'll be okay with that. You imagine you're looking around. I mean, I know Rose is in the Hall of Fame, but he's a Hall of Famer. You imagine looking at all sides of you, and it's like, and not even just Hall of Famers, like all-time greats. A phrase that I've used, I've heard used, and I decided to adopt it for myself. Which doesn't belong and why? <laughs> yes, Steve Jeltsin, the list of names that you just ran down. Anyway, that that was a, that was a lot of fun, and that is our This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shivesports.com. As we said, the, the key today is call with something pertinent to the conversation, something interesting. Don't just call it with a contest. And give us a player you really liked who wasn't very good. By the way, Andre Waters was a really good player. That, that's yeah, not he, even close. first-team All-Pro. Uh, yeah. That kind of disqualifies you from today's conversation. Yeah, and 
If you give us that and you give us a good story, you could win that $50 gift card to Shipe Sports. Let's get Rob in here before the break. Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm fine. Jody knows you from the same. I met him and his daughter back, remember back in the day where the, uh, t- uh, Tony Luke's? Yes. Bring the daughter to work, and I sent you the card when you had those heart surgeries, the St. Joseph's card. <laughs> yes. Always uh, love hearing from you, Sam. Yeah, good man. And and I agree with, uh, with uh, Glenn about the hockey thing, by the way, even though I'm a baseball fan, about the snow and the hockey. That's right. It's, it's a good point. You, you, uh, you, you, snobs together. God bless yes. you. Not snobs. I, it's not snobs. It's regional. Yeah, Hockey's okay. meant to be played where it's cold. The guy that the Phillies, that I'm, I'm in my 70s. I've been following the Phillies since like 1954, 55 and stuff. Back in 1958, there was a, an outfielder. He had one year. He was sophomore of the year. Harry the Horse Anderson. If you look it up, he had a, like a mediocre freshman year. They had a 24 home runs a second year, 99 RBIs. And we didn't hear from him ever, ever since he just wanted the nothingness. But I was like not him. Sparky Anderson, right? Uh, no, Harry the Horse. He was a right okay. fielder, right. a power hitter, All big right. left-handed power hitter, about 6'3". Got it. You know, and uh, if you look him up, you know, Harry Anderson. Can I tell you an interesting anecdote with Richie Ashford, if I may, please? Sure. Richie. I saw, right before he passed, I, I saw Richie Ashford, and I, and I told him that I was listening to a Phillies game in Memorial, down the shore of Memorial Day of 54 when I was a kid when Duke Snyder made an incredible catch with two outs in the ninth inning off of Willie Jones who would have won the game for the Phillies. And the Phillies dugout came running out of the field claiming he trapped the ball. And Richie remembered that. Richie says, it was my name for him. Richie says, Richie, to this day, I swear, Duke could trap that ball as well, you know. But I remember that from 1954, when I guess the old hated Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, that's something that stuck in my mind. And now, anyway, back to, back to this team, I think that they're, I think that they were, they were underachieving, uh, Glenn. And, uh, yep. and uh, you know, uh, Jody, I, I th- and I think that they're, pl- I think things even out in baseball. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not. It's like an equation in a way. Yeah, they do. And and thanks for the call. And um, they were not that bad. They are not this good. I said before the season, 87 wins. I thought, geez, I was dead in the water. You and I talked before, or at the start of the show, Jody, I said, what do you think? I think you said 86. Yep, 86, so, 87 could get right. in. So we're right back there. And I think Sam's point was good. 162 games, certainly the largest season of any professional sports. Things even out. Uh, Over the course of 162, chances are, unless you have massive injuries, you're going to be what you're supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. right now the Phillies have gotten back to where they should be, above 500, one game above 500, but above 500, that's a talent level on this team. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. You know, I said earlier we were going to get to the uh, Eagles and Nick Sirianni um, deciding that he is not going to call the plays. Let's do that in the next segment. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow on 94WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast 
listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's gonna go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. So, Jody, you and I yesterday talked about the Eagles mini camp, which uh, came and went and not much happened, but uh, there it was. Uh, but there was an interesting development during it, which is that Nick Sirianni kind of confirmed that he didn't finish up doing the play calling offensive play calling last season, gave it up uh, middle of the season. Uh, by the way, it got a lot better at that point, or at least the offense got a lot better at that point. Uh, Sean Steichen took over. I don't know if that was after the Dallas debacle or the Raiders embarrassment. or I don't think he specified, but they were 2-5, and five and they ended up you know, going 9-8, and eight and the offense got much better. Um, but he said that he he Sirianni is going to give Steichen the play calling duties moving forward and that this is going to be the way it's going to be and when asked to explain it this is what Nick had to say what I noticed was like well I wasn't communicating enough with Gannon about something or I wasn't communicating enough with the defense when um you know something that they needed to be pumped up, or Coach Clay, or the special teams. There's a lot of things that have to happen to offense before, you know, a, a drive starts. You know, I really trusted Shane. Shane and I spent so, mu- spent so much time throughout the week together, um, again, coming up with the, with the plan, with, you know, between, amongst the, the coaches. And, you know, we, we shifted to it during one of the games. I, I felt comfortable. So, Jody, um, this is a big deal. Not really, in my mind. Um, and uh, this didn't come out till after my shows on WIP were over for the week, but I got some feedback on my Birds 365 show, um, which I, I like the phrase my partner John McMullen uses. That makes Sirianni a CEO coach. Mm-hmm. And there are probably only five, six, seven coaches out of 32 head coaches, a whole bunch of new coaches we don't know yet, um, that are quote-unquote CEO coaches, which means they don't call plays on one of the two sides of the ball. And McMullen says he would prefer a CEO coach over a coach that is spending an imbalanced amount of time on one side of the ball or the other. Usually it's a guy who's had a significant uh, amount of success You've got to establish yourself as a guy on one side of the ball, and then you become highly thought of enough to be able to go, you know, I'm going to back off this. I'm going to let somebody else do this, and I'm going to oversee the team. Apparently, Sirianni did it after just seven or eight games, but it worked. So so let's roll with it. It, it did work for them last year. I will be more on guard to judge uh, Steichen. Last year I was judging Sirianni every single game because I thought he was calling all the plays still. Um, So, yes, uh, ups the pressure on Shane Steichen this year. But if Sirianni thinks he's up for the task and it does free him up to be more in touch with what's going on in special teams and defense and the like, good for him. The fact that he had enough confidence in his staff to turn that responsibility over and we saw improvement I'll be open-minded going into this season and say, and say, hey, this should work again. Yeah, and the bottom line is it did appear to work much better with Steichen than it did with Sirianni. And maybe it is because Nick is a first was a first-year coach, and he's trying to figure out everything. And as he said in that cut, and he said later, it's like, you know, i got to deal with the referees, and i got to deal with my special teams coach, and i got to figure out what's going on. And it's a huge job being an NFL head coach. And he was a young guy, and it was the first time. And, I mean, it's it, it, you can look at it two ways. You can kind of – people who would be critics would say, oh, look, see, he's really not up to the, the, the job like Andy Reid was once upon a time when he came here and ran everything. And you could look at it that way. Or you could look at it that way that, hey, the guy isn't such a big ego that he can see what isn't working and decide to change that. And he changed it. And it did work. And he's listen. He's not going to be a potted plant out there, to to quote John Middleton. Um, I'm curious to know how much, if any, of that was a factor in the switch from the pass to being run dominant. 
um, because the whole nature of their offense changed. You remember that game against Dallas, but they run the ball four times or some insanely low amount. Um, Listen, the best coaches are coaches who know how to delegate. Um, The best, the, the smartest people in any business are the people who know what they can handle and can be honest about what somebody else there might do as well or better than him. Uh, Nick had not called plays before he came here. I think it was part of the plan that he was going to dazzle people with that, but that that didn't happen. And so he gave it up. They moved on. They they got better. Um, I don't know what else to say. You know, you might say maybe that's his weakness, but maybe just Steichen's better at it. Right. I'm not going to call it a weakness for Nick because he decided to do it. If anything, I'd call it more of a strength because even when he's still in the I got to impress the boss, the league, my players, the Philadelphia fan base time period, he said, no, I got to do what's best for the team right now, and I'm going to turn over to Shane because I think that will work best. So I give him more credit uh, for that than maybe others do. But I will hold back a little bit on saying Shane Steichen did as good a job. The Eagles' early season schedule was difficult. If you compare last year's schedule, and I know it's in 2020 hindsight, but that's fair enough to do, and go back and see who they played the first seven games as compared to who they played the last ten games, yeah, they, the the schedule lightened up considerably. You had Tampa in the first, Raiders on the road in the first seven, Kansas City in the first seven. Yeah, these are all playoff teams. They played a lot softer schedule in the second half, and I will concede that that can have as much to do with the Eagle offense getting better as the fact that it was Steichen, not uh, uh, the head coach, calling the plays. And the other thing, which ties back into what we were discussing yesterday, well, it took them about six or seven games to overcome the inactivity in camp that they didn't go through all yeah. that many drills well, and the like. True. That you got to get up to speed that, uh, yeah, the second half of the season we were better. Why? Oh, because you've actually been playing football. That's a good way to get better is play some football. So a couple of things aligned for Shane Steichen have more success than Sirianni did comparing the first half of the season to the second half of the season. But I'm very willing and able to give Steichen a chance to show that last season wasn't a fluke and that he's a good play caller. Uh, all everything you said, I mean, I agree with your basic premise, except that no matter who the opponent was, I can look with my eyes and say that play calling in the early part of the year was dreadful. I mean, they, he just refused to run the ball, and then they went to the run and it worked. So, I, so let, let me ask you a question off that because yeah. uh, certainly we uh, have our preconceived notions of Jeff Flory. Uh, There's the now infamous story of them going into Green Bay, beating the Packers, and in the after the victory uh, early week meeting, Jeff Lurie questioning Doug Peterson, why didn't we throw the ball more? That they went to Green Bay and beat Green Bay, and he kind of put Doug on on, uh, the hot, hot seat because... They should have passed more than they did. Well, if you're the new coach and you were hired by Jeff Laurie and you had meetings with Jeff Laurie, you understand the uh, owner. Yeah, you want to do what the owner wants you to do when you're a first-time coach, getting a job for the first time. And maybe he was influenced that, listen, if we're going to do anything in the NFL, we have to be a very pass-happy team. Uh, and that might be why he called as many passes early in the season as he did. Might be, but, you know. You you lose games like that Dallas game. You're not going to be. It doesn't matter what your your play rotation is. You're not going to be a head coach for long. Hey, it worked out. The bottom line is the offense got a lot better. Uh, the next bottom line is they added some really nice tools in this off season. Yep. And I think if I'm Sean Steichen, I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. Go on. Let me run something by you. Eagles related. Um. Our buddy, Ruben Frank, who was part of the pregame show with you on the Eagles uh, pregame during the year, right? Ruben mm-hmm. jumps in and contributes with you guys. Oh, yeah. He does a great column every single week, 10, ten random observations from Ruben Amazing. Frank. The, the, the stats he finds are astounding, yes. Have you read this week's column yet? I don't believe I have. Okay, good. Then I will put you to the test because you'll not believe this. Okay. Um, most catches... Per game, one per game, most consecutive games with a catch to start an Eagles career. The answer is, who is the all-time guy? That would be Devontae Smith, because he caught one pass every game this past year for 17. Wait, no other rookie had ever done that? No other rookie had ever started his career with at least one catch for 17 consecutive games. 
Huh. Here, here's the fun part. Who do you think he took the record from? Um. Well, if I were not thinking that you're up to something, I would have said like a Fred Barnett kind of right, thing. Right. Uh, you're talking about rookie, right? And not like rookie. Terrell Owens. First yeah, ever rookie. start your career as a rookie consecutive games with at least one catch. Well, my bet would have been Fred Barnett. So um, it's clearly not. So who Freddie, are... very logical is not the answer. Okay. I'll give you the answer. Jalen Rager. Rager in his rookie year caught a pass in 11 consecutive games and caught a pass for the first five games last year. So he took it to 16, and then at the end of the year when Devontae got a catch in the last game, he took it to 17. So the two current Eagles are the all-time leaders in consecutive games to to start their career with a catch. Yeah, it's like which of these doesn't belong, (laughs) as you just said. Um, We're we're back to uh, our pal Steve Jeltz and his uh, teammates on that 83 Phillies team. And by by the way, I don't think anybody's going to say their favorite bad player is Jalen Rager. Oh, we we got an hour and uh, well, fifty yeah, minutes to go. Yeah, Somebody yeah. could check in. Well, they may, but uh, that that one that one would be uh, that would be a long shot for me. Agreed. Uh, let's talk to John in Voorhees. You're on with Jody Mac, Glenn, uh, Jody McDonald, Glenn Mac. Now there you go. Hey, how you doing? Uh, hey, love both of you guys, Glenn and and uh, Jody. Love you when you did Jody Mac. Do me a favor. Love that brother. I love yeah. that. Appreciate that. So, so here, I had two of them, just in case you think both of them were good. Uh, but I only had uh, the first one. Was, wait, 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 uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Give us your salient sports point first. Oh, okay. So the the, the streaks. Uh, we got Miami with five in a row. People forget about it. They're right behind us. Then we got Phillies nine in a row and the Braves ten in a row. So the Mets are feeling some pressure. But I just love uh, that we have a, a new season, man. I, I, there was a lot, plenty of baseball left. I'm not going to say it was a managerial change, but – yeah, that's what happened. So we'll take it and run with it. And this guy's ain't no. He hasn't lost yet. So yeah. I think it's pretty neat. Yes. So you, I mean, it's great. No, no, it, it is great. I don't know that. I mean, the Mets can't be feeling pressure, right? They're still, what, eight <laughs> up, six and a half up? What are they up? Six and a half. It's starting to a shrink a little bit. Five wow, that would be, boy, that would be a collapse. If, if the Mets yeah, blew. That early lead, which, by the way, mm-hmm. takes us back to, what, 2007? That would yeah. be something. Hmm. Big time. All right, so, John, I can only take one, but give yeah, us yeah. a bad player who you really liked and why. See, now you guys are going to think he was a good player. Boy, i got to give you the story real quickly. I was 10 years old, and there was a guy, number 38, loved him. He pitched a no-hitter that year. And my father comes to me because Johnny – uh, the Phillies traded Rick Wise. I go, you got to be kidding no, me, Dad. Rick Wise, was a, Rick Wise was not a bad player. Jody, why is this hard to understand? I'm not sure. Uh, I may pull I, this I thought you did a. I thought you did a pretty damn good job of laying it out what type of player we were looking for. Uh, a player who was a reserve. He was a sub. He may have jumped up in one game like Steve Jelton, done something he'd never done before. Maybe it's a guy who hung around for seven or eight years but never could crack the starting lineup. It's not that difficult a concept, MacMan. Rick Wise played 18 years, made two All-Star games, won 188 Major League games. How is he not a good player? Because he was traded for Steve Carlton. That's well, the, that's the only reason you could think that. Uh, yeah, he was he was only okay because the guy that he was traded for, in comparison, yeah, oh, he really wasn't all that good. In comparison to Steve Carlton. Yeah. All right. This this this. I'm I'm not pulling the contest because I can't do that. Actually, I legally can't do that. But we, we, I I I started with the Aussie punter, right? And and he was terrible. He's so bad. I'm blanking on his name for the moment. Savraka. Better you, than Savraka. better than Aaron Sipas. That's what I was about to say. Sipas. Yeah. Uh, right. Savraka. You had. I had a Smith who right. uh, did two tours of duty here in town. Neither of them memorable. That's what we're looking for. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to we're going to reset here. Two one five. Five nine two ninety four ninety four. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now. Hey Jody, a couple things I want to ask you about. Um I did not get to watch the Belmont yesterday. I'm have no doubt that you did. Oh yes. 
Okay. Mo Donegal, the favorite. Good Irish and horse. A good Irish horse gets the win. Uh, um, what uh, what's your takeaway? Was unfortunately my second choice um, uh, for the horse racing aficionados out there. They'll know you not only have to handicap the talent of the horse, but you the way you think the race is going to go. And there was a horse in the race by the name of We the People who drew the rail and looked yeah. to be the only speed in the race. Well, a horse by the name of Skippy Longstocking went with him and pressured him on the front end. The time wasn't, yeah, not a great name. You got to go through life with that name if you're that poor horse. Yeah, he does. Um, And uh, damn, if he didn't hang on for third, and my We the People uh, could do no better than fourth. So he pressured uh, We the People more uh, early in the race than I thought was going to be the case. Mo Donica was the most talented horse coming into the race and probably the one that figured most, and he went off as the favorite of the race. I tried to beat him by thinking that a uh, particular horse could steal it on the front end by grabbing the lead early and then being able to milk the entire mile and a half all the way around. Didn't happen that way. But a uh, good, very good day for some individuals and or groups. Todd Pletcher, the winning trainer, not only trains Modonical, but trains Nest, the filly that ended up coming up and finishing second. So uh, his horses ran 1-2 in the Belmont Stakes, and it was the first time that it happened since, like, 1985. Woody Stevens was the last trainer uh, to have two horses run first and second, complete the exacta. Uh, Mike Rapoli, a real New York guy, sorry, Philly fans, he's a Met fan, he had a orange and blue tie on yesterday because he's a diehard Met fan and he put in a bid before Steve Cohen beat, uh, bought the Mets when they changed ownership. He was one of the guys who was bidding to become the new owner when the Wilpon sold uh, but Rapoli's been in the horse racing game for 20-25 years now and has some top flight horses. He is the owner of both horses as well that ran one too. Uh, he is the uh, part of a partnership that owns Mo Donegal. He is the main owner of Nest who ran second. And the two jockeys who finished one too, the Ortiz brothers. Irad won. His brother Jose ran second. So the jockey brothers ran one too. The owner was both uh, the winner of the first and second place horses. And the trainer trains both the first and second place horses. Something like that That's has never happened day. in horse yeah. racing before. Um, so it was a different winner of the, oh, you know what? Let's play the end of the race. Here you go. Moshe hit the end of the race. Oh, Donegal comes charging up on the outside, and they're into the stretch, and Mo Donegal has taken the lead as they arrive from the final furlong. Nest is moved up into second, then we the people, and Skippy Lawnstocking. It is going to be Mike Rapoli one two. Mo Donegal and Nest, Mo Donegal and Aurora Ortiz by the way that guy is one of the great announcers in the in the country very good and been calling it for nbc for about 10 years now Tom Durkin, the previous guy, yeah. was a New York race call and called all the big races, triple crown races, is a buddy and is a, a friend. Uh, he has been well replaced since he stepped down. This guy Durkin is really good. It's, I mean, horse racing is exciting, but that he always nails it. Um, my last question on this is the, there was a separate winner for each of the three legs of the triple crown, um, which I know takes takes away a little bit of luster because people want to see somebody go for it. How how often is it that it's three races, three separate winners? Um, we got into a pretty good stretch, Glenn, over the last couple of decades yeah. where we had the winner uh, of the Kentucky Derby win the Preakness as well yeah. and have a chance for a triple crown, right. including Smarty Jones, which is one of the best racing days ever, except for the result when he came up uh, just yeah, short and finished stumbles. second. Um, it, I would say probably half of the time. Usually uh, you get one that wins one and then another, either the first two or the first and the third. I'd say 50% of the time, somewhere thereabouts. And this year was, uh, at least for a guy like myself who believes in unwritten rules in sports, after you win the Kentucky Derby, you're kind of obligated to go to Baltimore yeah, two right? later. 
And they so. just turned their nose up at it and said, no, nah, we won't be bothered. We'll we'll show up in uh, New York five weeks later and take our uh, next shot in the Belmont. And he ran way the hell up the track. So uh, maybe there is a karma in sports uh, horse racing. Let's talk to Kelly. You're on with Jody and Glenn. Hey, Kelly. Hey, gentlemen. How are you? All right. Good. So I heard you guys talking because my father called to tell me that you were reminiscing with Steve Jeltz about the uh, game in 1989. That was actually my very first baseball game ever. Nice. Really? So that turned really? me, it turned me into um, a lifelong Phillies fan. Love them or hate them. I'm, I'm usually in it until the very end when you can't stand to watch them anymore. I swear like, oh, I'm not going to watch them. And then I watch them again, but it's all because of that first game. I mean, who took you first- to that game? My father. And, I mean, I'm thinking, if I'm a – how old were you, you said? I was 10. Okay. So if I'm a dad with a 10-year-old and the Phillies are down 10 to nothing after the first inning, I'm thinking, <laughs> there's no way we're making this, first well, of all. So the, the kid's not going to have the patience. Is, Second of all, yeah. it's like I'll tell her, like, hey, let's uh, – we'll go out for ice cream. Let's blow out of here. Well, he took my brother two weeks prior – and Mike Schmidt was still on the team then, but then retired. So mm-hmm. I think he felt like he had to oblige and take me to a game as well. And then um, he was late coming home from work, and we got in the car, and we were headed over, and you could hear the disgust in the announcers on the radio. Oh. Like, they were down 11-2, to two and we hadn't even crossed the bridge yet. Oh, <laughs> man. And he looked at me at a red light, and he said, are you sure you still want to go? And I said, yeah, you know, I've never been. I don't care if they win or lose. I want to go. I mean, I have my glove in my hand. I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. So we get over there and, you know, they're chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And the next thing you know, it's a ball game. And at the end of that game, my dad said, see, that's why you never leave until the last out is made. Wow. That's well, a your, great story. Your response should have been, Dad, we need to get there before the first pitch is thrown. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, they missed the bad parts. They saw the good parts. Hey, good point, Glenn. That's true. You, you didn't have to suffer through the 10-run first inning. Wow. So then may you a Steve Jeltz fan for life? Well, I mean, I did like Steve Jeltz, but I, I do have an answer for that. I didn't hear what you guys were talking about earlier until my dad called me and clued me in. But, um, I mean, a Phillies fan for life, for sure. My favorite Philly, I always say, is the Fanatic. But a, a player that wasn't good but came out big was um, Eric Bruntlett. I mean, he was not good, but he scored a big run in the uh, World Series in Tampa oh, Bay. He did. So you got a soft spot for Bruntlett. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And sometimes well, you'd be so frustrated with Pat the Bat, you couldn't wait for Bruntlett to come in. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, this was a great call. You did you did great, and you know what? Your dad, God bless him, taught you just a brilliant lesson. And give your dad our best as well. Will do. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. That was a great story. Great story, and uh, let me add one to it because we've had trouble coming up with the ones, and God bless Kelly for coming up with a good one in Eric Brentlett. It's usually that backup middle infielder guy. For that team, 83, went to a World Series, Steve Jeltz's first year, he fills that role. Eric Brentlett filled it for the 2008 team. For the 93 team, MacMan, you and I were just getting together as partners for yes. the first time, and the Phillies went to the World Series that year, kind of out of nowhere, macho row, all that. And uh, we had tickets for uh, all the games because I had a press pass, but I bought tickets, and I had to share my press pass with someone else from WIP. So I got to go on the press pass every other game for that playoff run, and the other game I would go with my wife to the game. If I had the press pass, and my wife would bring a friend of hers, and she would go to the games. And we would go to the uh, – it's now called oh. Live, oh, the gosh, casino I, I know that is going. built where it used to be a hotel that was owned by Ron Jaworski. Yeah. And oh, we would go over going. there afterwards for uh, a post-game celebratory, either cocktail or drown our sorrows or whatever else. And a couple Philly players stayed and lived in that hotel. And every once in a while. did. Uh, Fergosi, I think, was there the whole time. He was the yeah, Phillies manager. He lived uh, there. But a couple players would, and uh, some of them would come into the bar and others wouldn't, but one that always did, Kim Batiste. Yeah. 
<laughs> and we would see him in there after all these playoff games and specifically after a win. We'd try to buy Kim Batista beer, and he was one of my wife's favorite players just because we would see him in the hotel after the playoff games. Yeah. And Kim Batista is that same type of player as Eric Bruntlett and Steve Jeltz for a, a World Series Phillies team. And had his Gotta moment. love the backup middle infielders. And had his moment against the Braves in that postseason. Right. Uh, if I recall correctly, makes an error early in the game and then drives in the winning run late in the game. I think They're it was been... a walk-off. You think he walked off the break? I don't I remember that. I think there was a Kim Batiste heroic moment, yeah. Harry I... Callis. Kim, Kim Batiste. Remember we had Anthony on yesterday? I'm guessing there, there could be a Kim Batiste Kim all-time Batiste? call in those top 20. In the top 20. you got to get into the top 20 because we've heard the others, and I don't remember a Kim Batiste. But I do remember him, and that's the type of individual I think you were trying to get through to our listeners. Yes, your and wife I wins. Do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she also, like me and Ish Smith, ineligible to win the yes. prize. You, um, what was I going to say? But, oh, you know, here's the other thing I remember about Kim Batiste, and we used to work together way back in the day, right? People would always call us with trades. Which is one of the reasons now I never like, like don't call me about a trade because they're never going to work. And they say like, okay, here's what we'll do: we'll trade them, Jeff Manto and Todd Pratt, and we'll get their the, their number one starter. Right. And we go like, well, that's not going to work. And they'd say, all right, we'll throw in Kim Batiste. <laughs> Yeah, quantity doesn't equal quality. We'll give them six of our reserves right. and underachievers, and we'll get their best player. Yeah, but we're giving them six guys. Yeah, but yeah, if we no, have to, we'll, we'll put Batiste in to, to even it out. Oh, always. Funny. He was always the one. Uh, do we seek another call now? We'll take a break, then we'll get back to the callers. And another topic or two to throw in. 215-592-9494. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.